Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Jump over to Romans 12. Let me lead off there. And um, we'll make our way back over to Romans 1. But Romans 12, I'll jump off there. Romans 12, verse 1. I'm going to be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. It reads this way. Therefore, brothers and sisters, are you brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you in the brethren? Are you a believer? Amen. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you, I urge you, that means intentionality, deliberately. I'm, I'm bringing some urgency behind this to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, holy and pleasing. He says, this is your true worship. You know, what we just did is not technically worship. Okay, that's praise and worship. That's that's lifting your voice, lifting your hands, glorifying God, exalting him through song. But worship is honestly submission to the king. Worship is a life submitted, a life that is holy and pleasing to him. That's real worship. So I can come in here and I can lift my hands. I can, I can sing a, a good song, sing, you know, dance a good dance and, and shout a good shout. But at the end of the day, it's my life that really reveals if I'm worshiping or not. If I'm in worship to the king, a life holy and pleasing. You know, we make a big effort uh, to uh, understand the love of God, but it's, it's even more that we live a life pleasing to God. God loves you because you're breathing. There's nothing you can do to earn God's love. There's nothing you can, you know, there's nothing you can do to get God to not love you. That's an automatic. That's automatic. You know, God's, God's love is great. God's love is amazing. We'll never fully understand. He's, you know, Paul prayed that the church would know the length and the depth and the height and the width of the love of God. That's how big and crazy God's love is. But at the end of the day, we have to understand this. He loves us in spite of what we do and in spite of who we are and in spite of the decisions. But his pleasing, his being pleased with us that's another conversation. I, you know, I, I say it this way all the time. You know, my son, Camden, I will always love him. No matter what. It doesn't matter what he does. Doesn't matter what report card says. Doesn't matter what his teacher says happened that day. Doesn't matter what, what could happen down the road. I will always love Camden. I will always love Austin. No matter what. There's nothing they could ever do. No matter how bad it gets. But am I always pleased? That's another conversation. I may not always be pleased with his actions, pleased with his decisions, pleased with his choices, pleased with, with, with what he's, uh, you know, uh, uh, attributing, pleased with where he's going, pleased with what he's reflecting from his life. Now, that's another level. And the Bible tells us that we ought to be living for is your true worship. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this age. Do not be conformed to this age. Be transformed. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
It says this, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. How am I going to live my life holy and pleasing unto God? How am I going to present even my physical mortal body, as verse 1 says, as a holy act of worship unto him? It starts in my mind. It starts in my thinking. If I can change my thinking, I can change my living. If I can change my thinking, then I can change my living. And, and many times we try to affect our life and our behaviors and, 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 and uh, you know, the choices we make simply from the outside. But he's trying to show us it actually starts on the inside. Right? You, you, don't, you don't help someone live uh, uh, prosperous by giving them finances. You have to change the way they think about money. You don't get someone to live a, a, a life free of depression and anxiety by, by taking away all the stresses in their life. You have to change the way they think. It starts on the inside. It starts in a different place. And notice this. He says that if we aren't transformed, then we may become conformed. If we aren't transformed on the inside, we will conform to what's on the outside. That means we will become what's around us. Really, there's only two options in life. You either uh, initiate change from within or you will be changed by what is around you. You either initiate it on your own, by your own decisions, or by the lack of making a decision, you will be changed. You will conform to what's around you. And he says, specifically, do not be conformed to this world, uh, or, or this translation reads, this age. Meaning, we're not just talking about the world, you know, the earth as we see. We all understand that, that we have to adapt. And there are things, like, you know, you can't do things the way you did it in 1950. Can't do things the way you did it in 1980. Can't do things the way you did it in 1990. Things, there, there is a form of adapting, but what he's recognizing is, is there are going to become patterns in this world that are gonna progress, and you're gonna have to make sure you stand pat. You're gonna have to make sure you stay with the word of God. You're going to have to make sure that you don't simply conform to what's around you, but that you remain fixed on the inside by being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Otherwise, have you noticed that the world wants you, especially Christianity, they want us to adapt. They want us to buy into their ideas. They want us to buy into what they think is right and how they think something should be done. And, and this whole progressive push goes directly against the kingdom of God. Goes directly against the kingdom of God. And so what he's warning us is there's got to be a transformation on the inside. Otherwise, there will be a conforming to what's around you. That means you will simply fit in. I believe it's the message translation. Can we pull that up in the message translation? I don't, I don't have it pulled up here. I guess I could pull it up on my device. I actually love how, I, I should have thought about that before, but I love how it reads in the message translation. Just really breaks it down. 
verse 1. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. I wonder how we, are we doing that? And he's breaking it down to the basic things, the everyday things. Like, this isn't difficult. We shouldn't have to be racking our brain about, am I honoring God? Am I serving God? He says, how are you taking just the simple, basic, everyday decisions of your life and honoring God with them? Offering them to him as a sacrifice. Place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Now watch this. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing this today. We're seeing an embracing of ideologies and embracing of thought processes and, 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 and people literally completely changing everything about their everyday living without even thinking about it now. Without even thinking, why am I doing this? Why am I going here? Why am I tolerating that? Why are we suggesting this? Why are we encouraging this? Why are we discouraging this? And, and, and before you know it, See, what the enemy wants to do in your life is he wants you to operate and fit in and tolerate to where it slips past your mental capacity, to where you don't even think about it anymore, to where it's not even a part of your thought process anymore. See, God doesn't even do that. God doesn't want you doing anything from the word without even thinking about it. He drops it in your spirit. But what does he say? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He wants your mind engaged. He wants your thinking engaged. He wants your thought process engaged. And look, again, we've said this before, but your mind is no one else's responsibility but yours. The government can't tell you how to think. The world can't tell you how to think. Education systems can't even tell you how to think. That's up to you. Now they can influence it. And that's what, the, that's what the Lord was leading me. That's what the Lord was showing me. He put it this way. What are your influences? Because that's what we're talking about. What are your influences? I wrote these down. What is influencing my decisions? What I decide on a daily basis. What influences them? What, what, is the, what is the initiative behind it that is, that is defining how I decide? What, are, what influences my thoughts? What influences my, my beliefs? My belief systems. What influences that? Is it grandma? Is it a denomination? Is it a certain sect? Or, or am I getting my belief straight from heaven, straight from the kingdom of God? What is influencing these things? What influences my behavior? And this was a good one. What influences my outlook? What influences my outlook on life? See, we have influences in our life. 
whether we want to admit it or not. We, there's something influencing us. There's something that is pushing on us. There is something that is engaging us that is telling us how to think or molding us or shaping us. And, and, and the writer Paul here is urging. Remember, he said, I urge you, brethren, in light of God's mercies. I urge you, do not be conformed to this age. That means you are influenced by it. Rather, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then he says this, so that you may discern. Discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. The good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Of God, And those are not three different types of the will of God. I've heard people explain it that way. Well, there's the God's good will. And then there's his pleasing or permissible, some have called it. And then there's the perfect. And I may not be in his perfect will, but I'm in his permissible. Or I'm in, like he's got different tiers to the will. No, those are three adjectives for the same will of God. Like the car is black and fast and big. It's it's all three adjectives describing one car. These are all three. God's will is good. God's will is pleasing. God's will is perfect. And he says, Paul says, that I need discernment to recognize that. Because I believe in the last days, as we're about to see here in Romans chapter 1, we're seeing it played out before us. That there's an exchange taking place. There's a trade-off taking place. That we aren't discerning the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. In fact, we are accepting evil and calling it good. Accepting a lie and calling it truth. Come on. It's happening right before us. And he's urging us as a church, you got to be able to stand pat. You can't adapt to what's around you. You can't just become easily well-fitting into what is around you without even thinking about it, he says. Going back to the message translation there real quick, just to finish it off. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you, and quickly respond to it. We talked about that on Sunday. Immediately, quickly grabbing a hold of the word of God, responding to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Amen. This is what God is is urging us today. That was written over 2,000 years ago and is still. I mean, if he had to encourage Romans, if he had to write this book and encourage them, how much more is that relevant today? That there is a, there is a, a adapting taking place that should not be happening in the kingdom of God. In Romans chapter 1, jumping back over there, starting with verse 18. Truth is on trial today. I said truth is on trial today. 
In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, he says, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Righteousness simply means this, right standing with the governing authority. Righteousness simply means right standing with the governing authority. When I come into, uh, when I am saved, when I am born again, I, I didn't just simply pray a prayer that gets me from the earth to heaven when this, when this body decays and passes away. That's not just my rite of passage to walk on green, uh, you know, streets of gold and, and get my mansion built by Jesus and, and you know, spend eternity with him and finally get away from this God-forsaken planet, right? That's not what salvation is. Salvation is getting the kingdom in you so you can get it in the earth. God never designed for heaven to stay in heaven. From the beginning of time, he designed heaven to be uh, extended to the earth. The spiritual unseen heaven to be extended to the natural seen realm of the earth. That's why Jesus, when he prayed, said, pray this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done. Where? On earth as it is. How's he doing that? Through kingdom agents like you and I. So you were transferred, Colossians says, Colossians 1.13, we were transferred from a domain of darkness to a kingdom of his beloved son, the kingdom of light. That's the kingdom of God. You were brought out. You were brought out. A kingdom is a system of rule. A kingdom is a system of rule. So where in darkness I, I lived according to the system of rule of the world or of Satan, the God of this world. When I'm transferred out of darkness into light, I am now to align myself through righteousness, rightly aligning myself with the governing authority. Instead of hate, I operate in love. Instead of anxiety and fear, I operate in peace. And with joy, I can now operate in self-control. This is fruit of the Spirit. This is now the Spirit of God lives in me. Now the fruit of his existence and the fruit of his dwelling within me is now I exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. I exhibit right living. Right living. Man, if the enemy is beating you up, don't help him out by sinning. <laughs> if the enemy is coming against you, don't take his side. And do his work for him by living unrighteously. Live righteously within the kingdom of God. Righteousness is the best place you can be. Righteousness is where the blessings and the promises live. Righteousness is where I can now get the word of God to operate on my benefit, for my behalf. Amen. And so he says, through their unrighteousness, they suppressed the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world. Clearly seen, he says. God isn't hiding himself. God hasn't remained a mystery. God is clearly exhibiting his power. God is, it is all around us. It's right there, clearly seen for the taking, clearly evident. That means if I don't see it, it's because I choose not to see it or I have blinded myself to it. You know, deceived people don't know they're deceived. 
That's the problem. <laughs> when you're in deception, you ever try to tell a deceived person they're deceived? That it didn't go over very well. I've never had one ever come to me and, 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 and you know, I have to challenge that. And they say, man, thank you for opening my eyes. I am deceived. Why? Because it's the Holy Spirit that has to reveal that. I, I, I could scream at them until I'm blue in the face. I can give them every scripture. That, but when they're deceived, they're deceived. If Jesus couldn't convert the Pharisees, what in the world do we think we can do? Demons weren't a problem for Jesus. Sickness and disease wasn't a problem for Jesus. Dead people weren't a problem for Jesus. Storms weren't a problem for Jesus. It was an unrenewed mind. That was a problem for Jesus. It was Pharisees and Sadducees that wanted to live according to their idea of God. Their, and when it didn't line up, that's right where we're going. When it didn't adapt, isn't that interesting that Jesus came in the complete opposite form of what they were looking for? God has no obligation to adapt to what we think he should be. No obligation whatsoever. God has, no, God, God has no obligation to become our idea of him. I can tell you what he wants to show you, what he wants to do in your life is far greater than what you think he could do anyways. God is not adapting. God is not becoming what we think or how we think it should operate or what we think it should look like or, or what we think he should say or, or who he... Have you ever noticed that God will use the most unlikely people to do some of the craziest things for him? You ever notice that God will use people in your life you hate to be a blessing to you? Half the time we miss it. Don't look, don't look around, look straight ahead. You're thinking, that's sitting right next to me. <laughs> That's how God operates. He says, clearly seen since the creation of the world being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. And there are no excuses with the king. There are no excuses standing before him saying, well, I didn't, I didn't see, I, I didn't know, I, I didn't, won't work. He says, you will stand before me without excuse. Because I've been on display your entire life. I've been on display all around you. But the thing was, I didn't adapt to your ideas, so you missed it. Those Pharisees and Sadducees, not one of them can go and say, but, 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 I, I didn't know. I didn't know that was him. Can't do it. They crucified the very Messiah they were looking for. Verse 21, for they, for though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. If you notice, everyone's an expert today. Everyone's an expert. Everyone's an expert today. Everyone's wise. Everyone knows all there is about 
claiming to be wise, they became fools. And here it is. And exchanged. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God. You know, this happened in 1 Samuel chapter 8. God's people said, we want a king, we want a king, we want a king. And Samuel the prophet, he was upset. He was upset for God. He said, you have a king. God is your king. God is your king. And finally, God had to go to Samuel and say, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. They would rather trade in an immortal God as their king that has their best interest at heart for a natural king that's going to enslave their wives and their children, is going to turn over their nation, is going to become immortal, and is going to make decisions that benefit themselves. And if that's what they want, give it to them. Give it to them. God will let you make the exchange. God will let you trade his best. His best for what we think is best. He'll let you do it. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for these images. Verse 24, therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts. See, when we don't renew our minds and our hearts, desires aren't even in alignment. Bible says God will give you the desires of your heart. Not when they're not in alignment with his kingdom. He will give you over to your desires if you want that more than you want him. Yeah, he'll let you have it. He'll let you go down that. He'll let you work. He'll let you bend over backwards trying to make it right on your own. And all along, he's got the best plan. All along, he's got the best way. All along, he he has the best plan for your life. But he will hand you, he will turn you over to darkness. Turn you over to your desires. The desires of their heart to sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator. They went after the resource instead of the source. They went after what God had created and instead of recognizing that everything comes from God and we ought to be worshiping God, we place the thing in front of God. We place the thing greater than God. They made an exchange. They made an exchange. Go over to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. In our world and really specifically in our nation right now, we are... We love stuff like, you know, you're entitled to your own opinion and your own ideas. 
We say that, but then we mock and we accuse and we challenge when it's not in alignment with our idea or our opinion or the way we would do it. And today, we, 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 have, we have this issue of adaptation that, that has taken over. I mean, really, it feels like it's escalated in the last five to ten years. That there is a, a, just everything that is of God is being challenged right now. I mean, I, you can't even watch the commercials anymore. Every commercial has an agenda behind it. Every commercial is trying to push not just the product, they're trying to push a principle. Yeah, there's, there is a push today. The Bible tells us that the church is a pillar in support of truth. I don't know about you, but the last time I checked, pillars aren't supposed to move. Pillars aren't supposed to be shifty and shaky. Pillars aren't supposed to be up one day and down the next. Pillars aren't supposed to have an idea of this and then it adapts to this. And, and I'm telling you, in, in the kingdom of God and in the church, there's, they're watching us. They're watching us. Will we bend? Will we break? Will we, will we fold? Will we go under? Will we, will we go to this idea? Will we tolerate it and allow this? And, 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 and we talk about it all the time. It, it's not a hard 90. It's a, it's a slow introduction over time. And it's a, it's, a, it's a slow and steady digression away from what God says. And before you know it, you're so far off path, you, you have no idea how to get back. We've got to be extremely careful. We talked about this over the summer. The Bible says that many in the last days will fall away from the faith, giving themselves to what? Doctrines of demons, deceiving spirits. But they didn't even know they were. It was a slow introduction over time, tolerating and allowing things that should should have no business in the house of God, in the people of God, in the church of God, in the kingdom of God. And they want to accept it and they want to call it kingdom. They want to call it love. They want to call it, uh, 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 you know, this is how God would respond or this is what God would do. And they'll give you every Bible verse in the book to live as sinful as possible. They will back it up. In Matthew chapter 11, in verse one, Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, now John the Baptist, he's in prison at this point. He hears about the works of Christ and he sent two of his disciples and said to him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? This is the John the the Baptist that was born six months before Jesus, his cousin. This is the John the Baptist that when Jesus's mom, Mary, went to John's mom, Elizabeth, her baby jumped within her. This is the John the Baptist that was in the wilderness saying, behold, the Lamb of God comes. I'm preparing and making a way for the Messiah, for the Son of God, for the King. Repent, because the kingdom of God is at hand. This is that John the Baptist. Now he's in prison, and now he is questioning that same Jesus. 
He's challenging that same Jesus. Are you the one? And Jesus answered and said to him, said to them, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? I think that's what we need to be asking. What were you looking for in the first place? What did you go out looking for in the first place? Why do you all of a sudden not think this is God? Why do you all of a sudden not think this is, this is how God is operating? This is what God is doing. Is it not aligning with what you thought he would do? Is it not aligning? And, 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 um, or, or, or have you adapted your idea of God to what's around you? What were you going out there to see? Verse eight, but well, what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments. Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. John had heard about Jesus's ministry from a prison cell. Not long after John baptized Jesus in the Holy Spirit. Remember, you remember the booming voice coming through the cloud. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It doesn't matter how clear God makes it. It doesn't matter how clearly God is visible. There will be opportunities in your life to challenge what you're seeing and having a hard time reconciling, is this God? That's where John the Baptist is. He's hearing about the lame. Walking, he's hearing about the blind seeing. He's hearing about this this gospel of grace and this gospel of mercy being preached. But why is John so confused? Why is John so conflicted? Why is John having such a hard time? Well, look at this in Matthew chapter three. In Matthew chapter three, we gotta back up a little bit. Remember, that's Matthew 11. This is after... Jesus has been baptized. This is after Jesus's ministry has begun. This is after Jesus, uh, this is after John the Baptist has already now been imprisoned, close to getting his head chopped off. But back in Matthew chapter three and verse 10, this is what John the Baptist was saying about Jesus. This is what John the Baptist was preaching. I'm gonna read to you from the Amplified. It says this, and already the acts of God's judgment is swinging toward the root of the trees. And therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with water. This is John the Baptist speaking. Because of your repentance, that is because you are willing to change your inner self, your old way of thinking. Regret your sin and live a changed life. 
but he, the Messiah, who is coming after me, is mightier, more powerful, more noble than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to remove, even as his slave. He will baptize you who truly repent with the Holy Spirit and you who remain unrepentant with fire or judgment. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will thoroughly clear out his threshing floor and he will gather his wheat believers into his barn, the kingdom, but he will burn up the chaff, the unrepentant with unquenchable fire. Basically, John the Baptist is saying this, you think it's bad with me here, wait till he shows up. John the Baptist is proclaiming a a Jesus that is gonna clear everything out. He's gonna be coming as the the righteous judge. He's gonna come as one that is going to identify those that are for him and against him. And he's gonna come as this great noble king, one that I can't even tie his sandals. And he's coming to cast judgment. He's coming to, to clear everything out. But what does he hear from prison? The lame are walking, the blind are seeing. A gospel of grace and a gospel of life and a gospel of mercy is being preached. And he's what? He's having a hard time reconciling. Wait a minute. Where's the winnowing fork? Where's the clearing out of the chaff? Where's, the, where's this big demonstrative man that's gonna get, I mean, in, in fact, John the Baptist is thinking, I'm gonna get out of this prison cell because Jesus is gonna clear the way and he's gonna take out these guys. And we do this with Jesus all the time. We do the same thing with Jesus all the time. We get our image, we get our idea, we get our picture, we get, and then when he doesn't fit our mold, we put him in. When, we, when he doesn't fit our imagery, when he doesn't come the way that we, like, you know, there's, there's, there's Father God that is ready to, to, to strike and remove you from the earth if you do one little thing. And some of us grew up with that image. And then some of us grew up with the image of God that's just doesn't care what you do. is whimsical and everybody's going to heaven and we, we have so many different Jesuses in the earth today. We have so many gods, so many ideas of God. And what did Paul say? You've exchanged the greatness of God for your own idea. You fell in love with your idea of God and your idea of who Jesus is rather than coming to, coming to know who he is. He said, you didn't know him. You didn't know him. You didn't take the time to get to discover who he really is. And this is the issue with with adapting. This is the issue is we cannot allow the world to define who our God is. We cannot allow the world to tell us how we are to live and how we are to, how we're supposed to, what the church is supposed to look like. What the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. Who Jesus is, who our father is. You cannot get your definition of God from a worldly system. It will break every time. It will break every time. It will fold every time. 
He says, the blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, deaf hear, the poor receive the kingdom. At the end of the day, we've got to understand what does the word of God say? Have we renewed our minds? Have we renewed our minds? This is what Malachi chapter three, verse six says. Malachi chapter three, verse six. The new King James, he says this, for I am the Lord, I do not change. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob, yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances. Like, there's gonna be some things that you're just gonna have to stick with. In these last days, there's gonna be things we're going to have to just stand with. Do you have non-negotiables in your life? Do we have non-negotiables? And no matter how you picture it, no matter what you say about it, no matter what you call it, no matter how you think it should operate, this is what it looks like. I think today, we, you, you think you have non-negotiables until they're challenged. We think that we are, are we, we, we think we have an idea of how something should look until it's challenged. And then Hebrews 10, 35 is as clear as day. We are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves. And even more so as the day draws near. Can't be any more clear than that. But now we literally have churches that are redefining that. Redefining that. There were churches in June, in June, that decided they were not reopening until 2021. We got fans in stadiums watching sporting events. We don't have believers in churches assembling together as we are commanded to do so because we fell back off of what should have been a non-negotiable. We have to understand, we have to understand nobody can redefine. Nobody gets to redefine what this word says. Nobody can redefine what relationships should look like. And it's being challenged right before our very eyes. We are the pillar in support of truth. It's very clear. We are the pillar in support of truth. If we aren't defining truth, who is? If we aren't remaining fixed in our position and in who we are and in who God's called us to be, then who else is gonna hold us to that standard? I can tell you right now, nobody will. They are waiting for the church to fold. They are waiting for the church to go under. They are waiting for the church to bow to their ideas. They wanna tell you when you can and when you can't. They wanna tell you what you can say and what you can't say. They want to tell you now when you can sing and when you can't sing. It's happening right before us. And adapting is never the answer. Conforming is never the answer. What does he say? Be transformed, transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's how you prove out. That is how you walk in the perfect pleasing and goodwill of God.
There is a good will of God in these last days. There is a pleasing will of God. There is a perfect will of God in these last days. And his church that is transformed by the renewing of their mind and does not allow the outside to influence the inside. Look, if we are influenced by the world, then how will we ever influence the world? How will we ever change what's around us if we are changed by what's around us? It doesn't work that way. The kingdom of God is within you. I love that about God, that he saw fit to take his kingdom and put it inside you and I. The only way the kingdom gets out is through us. The only way the kingdom gets out is through us. But we need renewed minds. We need transformed lives. We need people that are not just gonna go with the ebbs and flows. We need those that are gonna stand pat. We need those that are gonna remain. I'm not talking about being uh, defiant and rebellious. I'm talking about knowing what the kingdom is all about and standing for kingdom principles in the face of, of tolerance. I'm finding myself, I can't even laugh at half the stuff that people laugh at anymore. One, because it's not that funny, but two, because it's literally moved so far into immorality. It's being accepted. Children are being introduced to things today that as an adult, I'm, I'm seeing for the first time. It's incredible. The, the, the enemy is working. The enemy is roaming. But it's going to take the kingdom of life. Look, the kingdom cannot be stopped. We belong to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. There's no fear in this. There's no, oh, it's over, it's getting over. No, we are always stronger. We are always greater. But you are gonna have to draw a line. There is a day that is coming where the line will be drawn. And it'll be clear what side we're on. It'll be clear. Clearly evident. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.